Throughout our lifetime, we are often extended the privilege to develop relationships with some pretty amazing people. But many times we really don't appreciate or understand just what they have done or how dynamic they really are. And we lose out on some of the greatest opportunities afforded to us. It's important for us to pay attention to the people we have interaction with. We can build some great mentoring relationships when we acknowledge the capabilities of dynamic people God puts in our lives. One article on evidencebasedmentoring.org tells that the former Apple CEO, the late Steve Jobs, actually knew and developed a relationship with Mark Zuckerberg years earlier. He served as a mentor to Mark. They developed a relationship in the early days of Facebook and met often to discuss the best business and management practices for it. Former Morehouse College President Dr. Benjamin Mays was an outspoken critic of segregation before the rise of the modern civil rights movement. He was a mentor to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. These two first met King's undergraduate years at Morehouse College and they remained close until King died in 1968. May emphasized two ideas in particular, the dignity of all human beings and the incompatibility of American democratic ideals with American social practices. Those became vital strains in Martin Luther King Jr.'s language and in the whole civil rights movement. Former Super Bowl champion Daryl Green was mentored by his middle school football coach. He said, I had a coach who in a different way encouraged me that I could be a great running athlete. He was always encouraging me to participate, and I did. And so I think he helped me to identify the possibilities, which I never even thought about. And then astronaut and former U.S. Senator, right here from the great state of Ohio, John Glenn, was mentored by his high school civics teacher. He's an advocate of mentoring and spoke about the importance of being a mentor. Senator Glenn said, I think a mentor gets a lot of satisfaction in a couple of ways. They're doing something instructive, so they feel good about that. And when they see the results of this with the young people they're working with, it's very, very rewarding. Well, talk about mentoring the people of Israel. They receive the greatest privilege ever afforded to humanity. It was the privilege of relationship with God. Of all the people groups in the world, they were chosen by God. They were given the blueprints for worship from God and the worship of God and given the privilege of communication and relationship with God Almighty, chosen to record and preserve the scripture, even called to be an example to the world and evangelize the world. And yet, when we read throughout the scripture, their faith proved weak, even though they had the greatest mentoring relationship of all time. And soon it became very obvious that they had squandered the ultimate relationship and the ultimate opportunity to be close to God. And we're going to hear that story right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry. I'm your host, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion podcast. If you happen to have your trusty, hopefully not so dusty student guide right there with you, we're looking at the lesson dated December 12th, 2021, and it is entitled, The Privilege of Relationship with God. And we're all going to look at Exodus chapter 19, 
verses 5 through 6. So if you have your student guide or you have your Bible or you just want to hear, I want to share with you Exodus 19, verses 5 through 6. God speaking to Moses to speak to Israel. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. From this point, and even before this point, Israel was called to be a people of faith. Faith. Faith is one of those things that pleases God. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. We have to have faith. At the very least, we must believe God is. We must believe God exists. And if we believe he exists, then we must believe that he will reward those, Hebrews says, who diligently seek him, to put their efforts into knowing him, to drawing close to him. Faith is active. Faith demonstrates. Faith is action lived out in positive, trusting obedience from the heart that is energized by the Spirit of man and the Spirit of God together. Faith brings us into relationship with God and firms up that relationship. But the people of Israel, who were supposed to be a people of great faith, they saw mighty, marvelous miracles, demonstrated some pretty immature, some weak faith. They had no sooner finished rejoicing over the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea and the destruction, absolute destruction of Pharaoh's army, than they began to complain against Moses and Aaron. This point of contention was a belief that Moses and Aaron had taken them into the wilderness simply to cause them to die from hunger. They, they even said they sat by flesh pots and ate bread to the full whenever they were in Egypt. Life was better back there. Let's just go back there. And yet even though God knew better, and really they did too, God chose to be merciful. He sent quail to cover the camp in the evening and he introduced them to manna every morning. He took care of them. He told them, only gather what you need for the day. I'll take care of you tomorrow. But some of them went out with their grocery shopping cart and they stocked up and they gathered far beyond what they were supposed to gather for that day. And the leftovers they didn't eat that day, well, those stank like a paper mill in a landfill. This type of unbelief, it stinks to God. They continued to demonstrate this unbelief, this weak faith by chiding with Moses that God had demonstrated some pretty amazing patience in developing Israel's capabilities just to trust him for protection, for food, for water, for their basic needs. Why do you think it was so important for Israel to learn to trust God for their basic needs, just for protection, for food, for water? For us to have faith is to act according to the promises of God. Faith is not a license to be lazy or negligent or simply wait on God to start providing as we just munch on chips. Neither is faith believing God is going to thrust us into a lifestyle of luxury and riches untold. We're going to be wealthy. Rather, faith is conducting our lives responsibly. Believing God will honor our actions that we carry out ethically and with biblical guidelines and principles. Faith does not give us permission to bypass education, thinking God will make us professional or skilled craftsmen. That's delusional. That's not faith. Faith is entering a trade or gaining education necessary to succeed and then believing God will open the doors for us to succeed. Life is full of so many unanswered questions, so much uncertainty. And we can choose to fill the unanswered questions and the uncertainty with beliefs that are consistent with biblical faith or 
We can fill in the blanks with fear and anxiety, with expectations for the worst. It's all a matter of choice, our choice. If our past has been dotted with trauma, with negligence, with abuse, with adversity, maybe a childhood with an alcoholic parent, you can fill in the gaps with large doses of negative expectations. You don't expect anything to go right because up to this point, just quite honestly, it hasn't. However, if we can believe God, if we can establish a history of prayer answering events in our lives when God was gracious to us when we certainly didn't deserve it, we can create a catalog of answered prayers and we can live faith-filled. We can draw on those memories and we can remember that God did it before. He can do it again and live out our lives in faith, not in fear. We can trust God with our whole life, even our most basic and even with our needs that we really don't want anybody else to know we need, our most intimate personal needs, God is able to meet them. Jesus has already satisfied the wrath of God at Calvary. It's safe to give your heart to him. We can lower the barriers. We can take down the, the walls. We can allow the spirit of God to infiltrate our hearts and fill our minds with faith. It's okay. It's safe. God is not an abusive father. He's not a manipulative charlatan who's waiting to exploit us and, and punish us and judge us because we didn't have exactly what he asked for. We certainly respect him. We certainly fear and revere and stand in awe of him. But God, the God of the Bible, of the Old and the New Testament, biblically and personally, looks out for our best. In Exodus 19, God set the stage to earn Israel's respect. Mount Sinai was the stage to develop this respect and take their relationship to the next level. This relationship, not just of God, get us out of Egypt, but this relationship of God, draw us into relationship with you. And the Lord had to make an authoritative statement with some pretty dramatic demonstration. Lightning, thunder, smoke, a mountain, quakes. That's demonstration. However, this fear, it was not toxic fear. God wasn't abusive. He wasn't manipulating. He was demonstrating to them, I'm big enough. I can take care of you. I know where you are, who you are, and I can take care of you. It was at this stage in holy history that it was necessary for Israel to take decisive action and give their heart and faith to God. God established boundaries to keep things sacred not just secular. Israel was still immature in their revelation and their relationship with God, so God was preparing them to be introduced to this beautiful covenant. How does a pattern in history of trust develop into healthy respect? Think about your own life, where God has answered prayers for you in the past. How does that help you trust Him and, and respect Him in the future? That was the old covenant God was making with Israel there at Sinai, but the new covenant, which was founded in the blood of Jesus, proves to provide close relationship with God. God did not stay distant. He did not stay aloof in the heavenlies and play a game of hide and seek with us. But he came. He came into our world. He revealed himself to us. We hear about that all this Christmas season. Humanity's sin nature was intimidated by the glory revealed in Christ that sin nature became this murderous force God used to redeem us. This act of murder by the human race shed the very blood that purchased our redemption. Jesus' unreserved love 
made the way for close relationship with him, making us a royal priesthood, giving residence to his very own spirit in our hearts, this ultimate relationship. We have a relationship with God. Think about that relationship. How did God's unselfish love redeem the hate and brutality of the crucifixion to develop this wonderful relationship with him? Jesus established this new covenant. The writer of Hebrews says, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Hebrews 8, verse 6. The law made men high priests, but those men were imperfect. They were sinful. They had to offer sacrifices for their own sins first. Then they could offer for the people. But they served as an example in a shadow of heavenly things, according to the pattern God showed to Moses on Mount Sinai. However, when Jesus made one final sacrifice, he did not offer a sacrifice for himself because he was not sinful. He was the ultimate sacrifice. He was both the sacrifice and the high priest. He was already pure. He had no sin. He was the spotless lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This old covenant consisted of outward ordinances that required perpetual repetition, that required the priests to offer again and again and again and again and encourage them to just behave a little bit better. But the new covenant, that didn't just change behavior, that changed the heart. That changed the mind and wrote on itself the tables of people's hearts, changing our very nature. Sanctified lifestyles became what God not only expected, but empowered us to live. Our heart's response when we are filled with the spirit of the new covenant should be one of gratitude and awe that God has transformed us. When he gave that law on Mount Sinai, it was a dramatic event, tangible, visible, audible, earthly phenomena, underscoring that the law, which is not of faith, according to Galatians, existed in an environment radically different from that of the new covenant. Faith does not demand visible evidence, but it's convinced even of things that exist only in the realm of hope. The new covenant involves coming to a mount, but it's not one that our eyes have seen. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ have arrived at Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai. This isn't the earthly Mount Zion in Israel where you can stand and and look and all at the city of Jerusalem. It serves as a type or a shadow of the heavenly reality, the heavenly Mount Zion upon which, according to Galatians and Revelation, stands the Lamb of God. Those who enjoy this new covenant, those who respond in faith to it, have access to its spiritual privileges and benefits. What a relationship. These new covenant benefits, they're exponential. They're so much greater, so much better than the old covenant. We enjoy a more complete, fulfilling relationship with God. He lives inside of us. He doesn't just move upon us. We're no longer confined to animal sacrifices for a temporary forgiveness for sins. I doubt any of us are going to haul an F-150 into the parking lot on Sunday with a cattle trailer to bring in a bullock into the sanctuary so we can offer it for our sins. The full and final sacrifice of Jesus Christ authorizes unlimited relationship with God. And this relationship is based on love and respect. It's not conformed to this outward conformity of the law not just trying to be better people, trying to behave better, but has changed us from the inside out. What is the difference between a relationship based on love and one just based on strict authority 
and outward behavioral change. In this new covenant, we are privileged to be priests unto God. We serve under the authority of our high priest, Jesus Christ. No longer do we have to be represented before God through a human mediator, another high priest. Now we go straight to God. He is the one we communicate with. We can talk to Jesus. Even Aaron, the priests of the old covenant, they descended from the tribe of Levi. Only the Levites could fulfill those priestly privileges and working in the tabernacle and the temple. The act of sacrificing an animal for the pardon of sin, eating the showbread, igniting the incense, cleansing in the laver of water, engaging in that wonderful, most holy place called the Holy of Holies where the presence of God came dangerously close to meet with man. That was only for a particular group of people. But with us, <laughs> all of us can be kingdom of priests unto God. We can respond in faith to the gospel and we can repent of our sins, experience the cleansing waters of baptism in the name of Jesus and allow God's Holy Spirit to enter our lives as if it were we were entering the Holy of Holies to enjoy privilege of close relationship with Almighty God. All of those Levites, of course, were Jews, but now Jew and Gentile alike. All of us can be a holy nation unto God. The church is God's holy nation. It's not a nation of just an ethnic group. It's a nation of people who have responded in faith to the gospel and allowed God to change us from the inside out. What a wonderful privilege we have to have this beautiful relationship with God. And you can pursue it as closely as you want to. The barriers are down. There is no wall. Anybody who wants to enjoy blessed communion with Almighty God has the privilege to do so through faith. In the Old Covenant, the tabernacle displayed a picture of salvation and worship of the Spirit of God makes us the temple of God. He dwells in us, not just in a building. That was God's purpose in salvation and relationship was that He would reveal Himself to us, first through the law and through the tabernacle, showing us some concepts and principles that would allow limited relationship with Him. But when Jesus came, God tabernacled in flesh provided the means for mature, fulfilling relationship with Him. What do you believe is the difference between experiencing God through a priest like they did in the Old Testament and experiencing God directly for ourselves? I can give you a hint. It's so much better the way we have it now. Let's wrap this episode up. We have a unique privilege in this new covenant to live a life by faith simply by walking in the Spirit. We have so many examples of people who live lives of faith without the Spirit living inside of them under the Old Covenant, all through the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 11, it's a gallery of heroes who lived in faith without even having the Spirit of God. Extraordinary faith in the lives of ordinary people who obediently followed the call of God without the benefit of God's revelation in Christ or the indwelling Holy Spirit. How much more are we blessed on this side of Calvary and Pentecost to know who God is and to have him in our hearts? From those who had personal contact with Jesus, we see the character and the attributes, the nature of God in a more beautiful, complete, comprehensive way. Jesus was the image of the invisible God. The fullness of God was manifested in him. 
The tabernacle and temple guided humanity to God. It spoke about God in a type and shadow, but it did not bring humanity into the fullness of relationship with God. Think about today's technology. It offers us the opportunity to stay in contact with our friends, our family, our loved ones through email, text, telephone, even fax, if you still have one of those. Even audiovisual apps like FaceTime or Duo. When we're separated by distance, we can still see each other, communicate with each other. There's that dreaded Zoom that we can still work together. (laughs) And we can experience them to an extent, but there's no replacement for being together with them. And we certainly learned that during the COVID pandemic. Our hearts hurt when distance parts us. There's just no substitute with being together. There's no substitute for being engaged with the Spirit of God as He dwells inside of us. As a New Testament believer, disciple of Jesus, That old covenant can point to and show us examples and promise, but it cannot give us what we have now. But in his rich mercy, God gave us direct access to him. Now, we enjoy everything he has to offer this side of heaven. And when we get to heaven, oh, what a day that will be. I pray you take every opportunity today to draw closer in this ultimate relationship and privilege of a relationship with God. Let's do that right now. Let's pray. And let's ask the Lord to draw us close to him and help us to value and appreciate this relationship with him. Oh, Jesus, you you are awesome. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for the privilege to know you. Thank you for the privilege to be called by your name and filled with your spirit, to have this wonderful New Testament experience in our hearts. Thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. Help us to live in gratitude. Help us to live in faith for all you have done for us. I pray, Lord, you would help us to appreciate fully this relationship we have with you and to draw close to you and to share it with others. Help us today, Lord, to draw near to you, and I know you will draw near to us. Fill us once again with your spirit and make us brand new from the inside out. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Hey, if you're brand new or you've been with us for a while, you're a loyal listener, I say thank you for tuning in. Please be sure to click subscribe so you'll never miss any episode and you'll know exactly when each one of them drops and you'll be able to join us for every show. God's Word for Life has more resources than just this podcast. There are student guides, leaders' guides. There are daily devotionals. There's a My Growth Toolkit that helps you grow in your relationship with God and see some measurable ways you're growing in that. You can find all of those available at PentecostalPublishing.com or you can also find them at ApostolicDiscipleship.com. So I certainly hope you take advantage of those. Those are resources to help you in your walk and relationship with Jesus Christ. Next week, we are going to celebrate. It's the last week before Christmas Day. So we're going to celebrate Christmas and the incarnation of God in flesh. And the lesson is simply titled Rejoicing with Great Joy. I'm really looking forward to sharing that with you next week and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, Make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.